Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. We're going to be the probably the millionth person to wish you a uh, happy February. It's February 1st, 2023. We've got uh, the superintendent of Granite City Community Unit School District Number 9, okay, over in Illinois. I love the way they label school districts in Illinois. That's Stephanie Can. Stephanie's the superintendent, and she's going to talk about how recent changes, this is really interesting, how recent changes to her state, which is Illinois, funding regulations are creating these incredible opportunities, okay, for under-resourced schools to provide students with individualized supplemental instruction. And this show came about after I talked to my friends over at Varsity Tutors, okay, which is very involved. This is what the tutoring has taken on a whole new meaning in the last couple of years, all right? It's so darn important these days for not only student success, but teacher retention and teacher recruitment. Teachers need, they're, they're so pressed for time. They want to work so hard with their students. They don't have the time. They don't have the time they need. So if the school districts can find a way to help the students along with the teachers, it just makes it for a much better experience for everybody and it's working. So we're going to bring Stephanie on in just a couple of minutes and talk about how she's doing all this in, in, in kind of Granite City. Okay, we're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. That's A-C-E-E-D.org, ace-ed.org. And if you go over there, we just put our brand new issue of our Equity and Access Journal up on site. And you'll see the cover there. It's an issue that honors all of our equity awards winners. And uh, we think the world of them, both uh, all your colleagues out there in education, teachers, principals, et cetera, as well as organizations and companies. It's really a terrific issue. And I hope you go over and take the time to click through on the cover of Equity and Access and read the journal this month because it's really just excellent. And all of our work over there on teacher retention and social emotional learning as well, plus we archive every podcast at ace-ed.org. So please go over and check it out. We're pretty proud of what we do. And without further ado, if I may use the word do too many times, okay, let me bring on Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. I'm Larry. Welcome to the show. Hi, Larry. Hi, Larry. How are you? Good morning. I'm just fine here in Maine. How's the weather in in Massachusetts, in Illinois today? In Illinois, it's not so bad. We had a bad beginning of the week, but today I think it's supposed to be all of like 30 degrees, but sunny. Summertime and the living is easy. <laughs> I, used, I used to live in Chicago, okay? Like I oh. must be, yeah, we, now we live in Maine, so we must like cold weather, I guess. But and uh, I don't mind. Well, what, was it, what, was, what was going on at the beginning of the week? Oh, we had some freezing rain, and you know how the uh, National Weather Service likes to tell us it's going to be catastrophic, and then it really isn't. <laughs> It's kind of tough to call school in those situations, but we have a lot of learning now, which could segue right into some things. So uh, it's been good for us. Excellent. Excellent. Did you have the, were the schools open all week? No, we a snow day due to it was just freezing rain and kind of a mix of snow. It started oh, you about do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you so. got to do that. A lot of parents don't realize that, that you're responsible for the kids on the bus. Okay, yep. they may be able to right. get to be at school safe, but they got to get to school. And the freezing rain, you got to you got to make the right call. And it, hey, you know, I want to talk, Steph, talk to me about your journey 
in, in education to become superintendent of Granite City before we get into the rest of the stuff. Not making it too long. It was sort of a long and winding journey, right? Uh, I started out with uh, history degrees and a master's in history and didn't want to teach. I don't know why. Uh, so I ended up working uh, okay. in a library for an environmental firm. Kind of went from there, started doing some editing, um, moved along. Then I was doing assessments and uh, getting billable rates for that. Then I became an asbestos inspector on top of the environmental assessments, uh, running the library, doing the legislative background work. Um, then I took one of my friend's um, GED classes. I taught it for her because she was out, and it was like an epiphany, and I was like, why am I not doing this? <laughs> Much to my husband's chagrin when I decided I want to go back to school. I want to quit and go back to school. There you go. <laughs> After already gone master. So I did. I only needed about a year between the uh, classes and student teaching. Um, because I already had degrees, I was able to sub, got into a district I loved. Um, I was fortunate to be offered a job following uh, my graduation and started right up there and just loved it, absolutely loved it, high school, English and history, and just continued on the route. And uh, one of my, the superintendent at the time came in one day and dropped some papers on my desk and said, can you afford graduate school? I said, sure. He goes, well, here, you need to do this. That was for my administrative degree. So that started that process, and I'm just now finishing up uh, uh, dissertation work. So it's kind of been all over the place. I did in between, before I got to this job, though, I did some foster care initiatives for, for kids on the legislative end. I worked with teaching well, and learning and student teachers at um, Southern Illinois University, and then I was asked to interview uh, for this position, which really wasn't on my radar, but I'm thrilled that I did. And have you been in Granite City the whole time? Granite no, I I grew up in Granite City. My dad worked at the steel mill here, our legacy industry, and um, he was an accountant. And um, graduated from here, lived here for a while. Um, my husband wanted some land, so we moved out to an area around here in the area. Um, but my first teaching job was in Roxana, Illinois, which is an oil um, refinery town, uh, kind of go mm. and such. So started there, then went to uh, a small rural community right outside. I mean, then I did a pre-K-8 building, which was not my wheelhouse, but I loved it. And I'm really glad because now I understand sort of pre-K-12 administratively sure. and curriculum wise sure. So I think it's, it's really helped me in this job to understand where all these people are coming from and understanding the issues at elementary and secondary. It's paid, played a really good role in, in how I can uh, manage all of this. So, uh, yeah, and then I ended up coming back here, which is really uh, an amazing circle. It's a great circle, okay, and it led you in the right direction. Tell everybody where exactly Granite City Community Unit School District is in the great state of Illinois. And district schools mean that we do uh, pre-K-12 or K-12, depending on the district. So you don't have two different districts, one for elementary. Some districts... Yes, I, I never liked that about Illinois. Yeah, I never liked that even when I lived there, the different districts. But that's okay. Oh, yeah, I love okay, you guys are in K-12. Where are you? Where are you? Okay, we are literally about seven miles from the bridge to St. Louis. <laughs> so we are, you know, right down there in... Uh, the middle of the state um, to the west. You must so be near. Are you are you near Belleville and Edwardsville and yeah. all that sort of stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Belleville, okay. This is a great town. Mm -hmm. Great yeah. area. Metro East is it, it, it is a great area. Okay. And of course, the, 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 yeah, East St. Louis is there. East St. Louis, yeah. Illinois, that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. All right. So, well, now I know exactly where you are. Now, tell us about the school district itself. 
Okay. Um, I think that, you know, it, it was a boom town. We we were lucky enough to have a Neatering House family initially when they came in with granite ware. That's why it's Granite City. Um, they actually <laughs> grew out the town, I know, with planning, kind of like the, Hoff, the George Hoffman in Paris. They drew the cities and they drew the, you know, the, the, the streets and planned it all out. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful park. One of the most beautiful parks in the area. I would if I, if I would almost say the nicest park in the Metro East, um, as far as size and what we have in it. Um, kind of went through a boom, and then obviously, you know, in the uh, 80s, and then again in 2008, 2009, it took some huge hits. Uh, a lot of people moved out of the area because yeah. um, there wasn't a lot. It's kind of landlocked. Not a lot of room to build. Not because of anything <laughs> that's here or not here, but. It's experiencing a little bit of that, but I think we're sort of in a renaissance right now. We have a, a, the city's really doing some stuff. I'm really trying to rebrand the district and bring some new stuff to it and bring just, I don't know, we have a new communications director. We focus on the positive, bring new things like varsity tutors and things like that in to, to help our That's students great. and help the town um, educationally. I, I, think, I think it's just great. And I did notice, and which I loved, okay, on your website, just talk about this because this is important. Okay. Uh, feel free to help. Uh, go recruit some teachers for two minutes. Tell us. Tell us. Tell teachers to come over there. Well, we go just recruit. did this. I just had all the secondary ed students uh, at Cornell University here for a career night, so they learned about insurance and things that they don't know when they go into interviews. I mean, sure, would I love them to work here? Great, but I also wanted them to learn because that's what I did. But our district, um, <laughs> honestly, we. We pay well. When I came in, we, we were like the second highest in the area. Um, we have very inexpensive insurance for families, free for individuals, less than 250 for a whole family, which is unheard That's of great. nowadays. With a great. great central location, you could be in St. Louis and be here in 15, 10 minutes, even if you're at Soulard or something. Um, I think we have a lot to offer, very diverse population of kids, which I love. Uh, being able to find new things to meet them where they are, and we allow a lot of teacher professional development. If someone brings something to me that looks good and they can justify it, I'll send them. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons uh, that this district is, should be very appealing. And I try to be out there all the time. I'm out there talking to people and trying to do interviews. Good. We change our interview process to streamline it to make it easier to get, uh, you know, teachers into our district. And we've been really successful as of late. Absolutely, excellent. That's great. I, can, I continually wish you the best of luck with that. It's very difficult all over the country. We want the great teachers to stay, and we want the yeah. new teachers to come in there and really look at it. That's just terrific. Uh, I always like to describe a district. This seems the way the way it always likes to shake out from everybody I talk to. Uh, what's the free and reduced lunch rate at Granite City? We have a, a 100%. All of our kids, um, all the students in the district have free lunch and breakfast. So okay. and, and, our low and in free and reduced is, I don't know, I'm sorry, I should know that right now off my head, shouldn't I? You don't have to. Okay. Percent, 50 to 60%. It no, changes. That's okay. In the last five years, it's changed um, significantly. And is it a very diverse district in terms of African-American, Latino, all that sort of stuff? We have a very, uh, there's a this very high agricultural area, so we have mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of agricultural workers in Collinsville and Granite City. Um, oh, oh, Collinsville, yeah. Forgot about that. So they yeah. have a high Hispanic rate too, but I think it brings a lot of cultural diversity. Uh, we're we're uh, still learning. I, I agree that. with you. I think it's a, I think it's a positive, not a negative. I think it's wonderful. Oh, so do I. Yeah. I think a lot of our new yeah. teachers, 
especially. The students that are here the other night were really excited about that, uh, you know, because they, you know, now they're just so much better informed about equitable practices and, and yeah. you know, just justice and social justice and discipline and understanding culture. And it's, I think that that's appealing to so many new teachers. And I'm really, really happy about that as a lifelong learner and makes me happy. That's great. And you, did, you said two things that are, that are um, it, it struck me. I have to ask you. You said you're, you're 15 minutes from St. Louis, 20 minutes, yes. whatever it might be, 25 minutes, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. But you've also then said it's heavily agricultural. Okay. Right. Which is, a, that's a nice mix, by the way. And I'm curious if you had to describe the district, is it rural or is it urban or suburban or how would you, how would you describe it? Just in that's those terms. I worry about this all the time because it definitely doesn't have a lot of farming indirectly in Granite City, but the district encompasses different areas, Mitchell, Pontoon Beach. We have warehouses now, Amazon warehouses, which have definitely helped. But um, it's more suburban. Um, You look up, uh, you know, 20 miles from here, Edwardsville, there's a lot of farming, Highland, a lot of farming, Jerseyville farming. So within like a 40-mile radius, you have almost urban, suburban, all the way out to extremely rural. Where I worked, um, one of the districts I worked in was extremely rural, Bunker Hill, which was um, pretty far out in Macoupin County. So, uh, you know, it's almost entirely rural, but yet it was 20 yeah. minutes from my house in Evansville. So, point point being, you know the difference between urban, rural, and suburban, i got to tell you. Now, I want to get into this thing. And, again, i got to thank Varsity Tutors for doing this. Okay, you can look it up at varsitytutorsforschools.com. But – um, go over this evidence-based funding. This is something out of Illinois from what I'm gathering, and it's, it's something that educators need to know about. Evidence-based funding, okay, from the state, okay, to get, you, to get these kids the opportunities they need for, quote, an under-resourced school. Talk about that. It's so important. Um, It went into effect as a nonpartisan agreement in 2017 under the Rauner administration, but saying that, there were years of, of work, you know, by legislators, advocate groups, school officials, task force, who were really aware of the need to change the antiquated system we had, which was based mostly, mostly on attendance, general state aid, which, as you might or might not know, attendance significantly will affect uh, lower income poverty no, uh, sure. districts. So that in itself made it a little inequitable for many of the more urban or suburban uh, or even rural districts that don't have a lot yeah. of tax base. So I think that it, was, it, it needed to be done. Um, there was a former senator of Illinois, Andy Menar, who was a huge advocate, uh, pretty much came up with the entire um, the, the entire basis for evidence-based funding with the help of many others, but kind of like his brainchild. So he worked for years pulling that together. So it was very exciting when this finally went through, even during a budget crisis in Illinois in 2017. <laughs> we had just experienced that. So I think before this, this Senator Menard that I'm talking about, is, as a former mm-hmm. senator, he still works for the governor's office, uh, he used a quote um, that I thought was perfect. Uh, when he was arguing for the need for this, is a child's education should not be dependent upon their zip code. Absolutely. That sums up up evidence-based funding. It allows for districts whose tax base is so much lower, it sort of like fills that gap, right? We have something called an adequacy target. And so, you know, we were at a 50% adequacy target. All that means is what resources do we have, do they base locally on, to be able to educate a child the way they should. Uh, like it's 
the sum of all the educational costs that individually calculate through the district, you know, and so what we don't have, that's the evidence they use. You know, it's based on uh, ratio of student to teacher, student to social worker, student to admin, uh, low income, cost of living, homelessness, ESL, which is English as a second language, um, yes. residential outplacement, special ed, pre-K. There's all these things. That's what the evidence-based means. So they're using real-time things in districts to decide what they need to adequately educate those children. It's all about so, equity. It's all oh about equity. God. It's yeah. all about equity. And, yeah. and before, I think districts, it's like, here's your pool of money. We'll divide it up. Um, I don't know if you know Dusty Rhodes. She's a, is an education reporter for NPR. Oh, I did, yes, yes. He did a story back in the day, probably 2016-17, about the difference between in Chicago schools and inner city school that was literally a mile away, I think, from another school. I don't know if it was named Township. I'm trying to remember. But she took two. They had two students, and they transferred them right to just for a for a week. I think they went to each other's school. And I think this is the best way, too. They asked the girl who was from the inner city who went out to this other school district, which was not very far, and asked her, what was the biggest shock to you about inequities? And they, mm-hmm. at the end of the entire podcast or article on this, she said they had, a, they had an omelet station. Yeah. I mean, that speaks volumes about yeah. the inequity. She said that her yeah. school were trying to cut up chicken fingers and things and to make them into different, different things for the kids, right? Um, j- just showing those inequities, children are the it's ones that suffer the most, right? It's, it's, it, it really is directly affecting children. So I don't, know if you, I don't know if you heard me say it at the beginning, Steph, but uh, you know we 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 are the American Consortium for Equity and Education, and we we try so hard. I'm so glad you're on the show talking about this because um, you know, and it, it, to me, it's absolutely unbelievable that in this day and age in this country, we still are having these inequities. Okay, yeah. and we're gonna keep. We, it's just unbelievable. I'm so glad that Illinois is is, is stepping up. What what was the process like for you to get the funding and then? Uh, when you got the funding, what'd you do with it? Well, um, we it allowed honestly after years, <laughs> literally years yeah. of continually looking for ways to do without in this district. You know, all the way back yeah. to the late '80s, and then the 2008 really hit hard. They were making cuts. I mean, huge cuts. Uh, where junior high didn't have um, plan periods. They cut electives. Uh, yeah. It's just typical of all districts across the state, right? All everybody was experiencing the same type of things. But you know. It just causes a drop in everything. We were as low as as low as a fifty percent adequacy rate, so we weren't able to provide over almost half of what students needed that that we felt like were fair across the state. So they developed yeah. the adequacy targets, um, the lo- local capacity targets. It's really based on you know four different ways to get it, but they distribute it based on what you know how much you can get locally. So if you're if you don't have a large tax base, you don't have any industry. You don't have any way to, to bring in local funding. So the state still basing on when it was basing it on attendance really didn't take that into consideration, right? So now with evidence-based funding, there were so many other things that they take into account to decide who gets how much money. So for us, it was, it was incredibly helpful to even be able to stop having to look for cuts and be able to look yeah. forward educationally. Yeah. To me, that's the number one thing that evidence-based funding, I wasn't in the district then, but I was in other districts, and it just allowed us, you know, to be able to look forward, especially in the rural district I was in. Now, in the, the where I had the um, 
refinery, we had a local tax base, right? So UBS, you get your same amount, but you're not going to get any new monies that they put into that right. because you already have an adequacy target of, you know, 88% or something, right? So the goal of DBS, I do believe, was to bring all the districts in Illinois up to 70% adequacy at least. We're at about 74 right now, 74%, but they're still, they still have some. They still have some that are under 70, but I can't imagine what it would be like had they not done this, especially with COVID. Um, they did flat oh, rate. Oh, absolutely. 2021 was a flat rate for EBF. You know, there was no new money put in, because obviously, right? But at least they didn't say, okay, there isn't any money coming in. We just didn't have any new money put in at that time, because unless they put money into EBF for extra, then we don't get those extra funds. But they've been very consistent except for the flat rate of 21 since 2017. Um, it just makes a huge difference. And those funds have allowed us, honestly, some school districts across the state, to, that I haven't had a new school since the 70s, and they needed, they were in disrepair. They needed new roofs. Yeah. They needed basic yeah. things, in, in vast uh, new bathrooms, uh, just basic learning environment they, things that you know you just summed it up just basics yeah just mm -hmm. just basics okay you're not okay, even talking about the extras and just the basics have to be yep. fixed and kept up okay right. and, you it's know it. and just just to go i mean just the bathrooms alone think about mm -hmm. it in the age of covid okay you got to mm -hmm. have a clean sanitized bathroom okay mm -hmm. where kids can wash up go to the bathroom feel safe okay right. feel clean Okay, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, enough sinks for every. It's just, and, and you talk about the basics. That's what you know. That's just as basic as you can get. Okay, mm -hmm. and it's just, it's, it's just amazing. I want to, want to swing over a little bit though. You know, you got the money, okay, and it's great that you were able to do this. And then you looked, and I, I to me, this is extremely important these days, and we do a lot of work with this, with, with the tutoring. Okay, oh, and the God. tutoring to me, I, I got to talk about this for a second. I, I, I kind of tapped into it at the beginning, but to, we've got a secondary problem out there called teacher retention and teacher recruitment. And teachers don't have a lot of time these days. The things have changed since COVID. Okay, the kids are under social emotional pressures. All right, uh, character building pressures, etc. It, it it creates a lot of challenges out there, and. And, and, and if we can take some of that pressure off and still have the kids learning. And I, I just got to ask you, you know, as dollars come in, with, with, talk about just how you went over to tutoring and all that sort of stuff. That, well, that's the process. Yeah. Trying to get teachers with their own social emotional issues going on. We were remote oh, for one absolutely. semester and then we went back in. And so they're dealing with that. We've upgraded. We were able to do stipends for different things and for teachers, but it was difficult with their own families and their, depending on what that school district where those teachers lived, how they got childcare. So trying to find after-school tutors because of the learning loss suffered, right, um, in the COVID era, we really, really were looking for ways oh, to make the access yeah. more equitable, right? So if a student yes. has to depend on buses to get home and there's after-school tutoring but we can't afford transportation, then they're being almost punished because they don't have access to that tutoring after school. So I was looking for ways that I could make that available to students 24-7. You know, and if somebody, for instance, if they're in the play or they have sports or whatever, they can't, or they had to go home on the bus, they need to be able to have some way and have some help with whatever work they're trying to achieve um, at home. So I love, what, I mean, the, the amount of things that this uh, particular, not to be selling this, but 
the uh, the amount yeah. of things that this kind of tutoring service can offer to students. Yeah. You can't under, you can't you can't overstate it. Um, a kid that can one the other. I got a note from a student the other night that said it was like one thirty in the morning that they got not work. Another social worker yeah. probably got to work. So yeah. they were able to get yeah. on the tutoring site, get a tutor with help for math at wow. one thirty in the morning. Wow. I mean, if you want to make something equitable and equitable access, yeah, don't really know a better yeah, that, way to do that. that. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Is that, That's a very interesting little anecdote you just had with the time, uh, with the mm-hmm. time stamp, so to speak. I mean, it's, it's just, um, you know, it's just wild. And as I, as I say, the, the, tu- the tutoring not only, it not only helps the students, it helps the whole school, okay, oh. because it takes, yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off. Okay, and, and you know, yeah, it's it's just it's just so darn important. What do you hear from the teachers about it? I'm just curious well, about that. It's still new for us. We're getting ready to yeah, launch okay. in a bigger in a bigger thing. I, I was I was a little worried. Like, are they gonna? You know, we have a strong union. I have a great group of teachers. Let me start there. Um, during COVID, they were amazing, and we've come out so much stronger, really supportive. So I think. For them, we're looking at the varsity tutors is getting ready to launch a teacher one where teachers can actually assign tutoring that we're looking into as well. But um, for Good. study hall, for um, in student suspension, in school suspension, uh, there's so many ways that students can use this tutoring that the teachers were like, it's not replacing us, it's just enhancing us. That's so, exactly right. That's exactly right. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's been it's been favorable. I, you know, and I talked to the I I, I talked to my union first, my union president. Say, here's what this is not. We're not trying to replace anybody. We still are having no. after school tutoring for those. This is just a more equitable approach to students that have to work, that have to take the bus home, that have other outside activities. This allows them the opportunity to have somebody at hand that they can ask those questions to when a teacher's not available. Exactly, and and uh, and also, you know, anything that you bring in that's new. Okay, and let's face it, schools are a bureaucracy, so it's hard to bring something in that's new and different. Okay, and but over the course of, of just a little while, people start to see what it, what a benefit it is. Okay, okay, and how to use it and all that sort of thing. So nobody expects overnight miracles. Okay, but what all of a sudden it starts to just become part and parcel of the way it's done, and it's it's a helpful. Tool. Okay, I have to ask. What other educational like initiatives have that uh, has the dollars allowed you to do? Sure, we Is have. It going to be uh, yeah. I have to. You have to say too, though. We have had our ESSA funds, federal funding for during COVID, and honestly, there's no way that school districts. I would. I challenge anybody to tell me how they could have survived at least a public school district I agree. without those I funding agree. during COVID. The regulations that CDC and the Illinois Department of Public Health have put on schools, we could not have done. We couldn't have afforded testing. We couldn't have paid the nurses. We couldn't have cleaned and bought the sanitation equipment. There's no wow. way even, you know, EBF allows us to maintain, but if we'd have had to to buy and do all that out of that, we would, it, it would have, we would, I don't know what we would have done. Uh, would have well put said. us in a, in a bad spot. So I think that combination of those ESSER funds and the change in the state's approach to um, educational equity have, have been great for us. Um, but there are other things to what we were allowed to do. We changed um, learning environments with safety, um, HVAC, whole new units for air quality. Wow. Um, great for air quality, but ours were in not dire need of repair anyway. 
So it was the combination of these funds, building upgrades. We were able to get parking lots and new roofs and um, just general maintenance. We put in new flooring and painting of buildings, just aesthetics, too, because I think that's important. People don't understand that you want your community to be proud, right? You want them to be proud of their schools. It, so, it's, it's incredible. The aesthetics is you get you got to feel comfortable in a place, Steph. You got to feel like you're at home. They're there for a lot of part of the day. Okay, it is home to a lot of people. Okay, you got to feel good about it, and it's got and it's got to not only look good, it has to work. Okay, and well, that's yeah. what you do when you start replacing stuff, you know, and, and putting in new floors and all that sort of thing. It's it's just part and parcel of building a whole. A whole environment for a whole child and a whole teacher, if I may. I think it's great. Well, teacher. teacher retention, teacher, you were talking about that, teacher recruitment. You know, those are issues. We redid it. We have a personal development center here at the board office. So I wanted them to see what we're doing. They need, you know, if I could have given tours, I would have, because we're really trying hard um, to make our schools better and to make changes to them that are yeah. both aesthetic and functional at the same time. So we're looking at some that. stuff. So yeah, so we're doing technology was huge. We were able with Esther Grants to get Chromebooks for everyone. We went one to one, which was phenomenal. My teachers were amazing. But I was also able to pay in house uh, tech people to run that. We had a tech hotline for off hours. So students and grandparents uh, whoever was helping it were able to do that, which put us on the same playing field with a lot of um districts that have more <laughs> so we were able to then compete and i think we've now we're at a different yeah. level than when we started so that's been really wonderful for our kids cpe programs uh, stem programs in addition to the tutoring have grown we've been allowed to bring in some more electives we've, we are uh, doing passing we have periods of plan things we'd be able to reinstitute because of all these funding issues it's just made a huge change in our district in particular exactly. And that, that, that was so well said. I just love listening to that. And I, my, my, my last question is, you know, we talk about the teachers. We talk about you, the superintendent, getting all the money. You know, did the, you, how many students are in the district? How many students? How many students? Right yeah, at about 6,000. Six, that's a lot of kids. Okay, 6,000. Yeah. Okay, they're the customers. Okay, I That's hate to right. say it, they're the customers. Right. They've got to come into the store every day, and we've got to somehow right. make them feel happy about being in the store every day. Okay, right. so my, my, how are the kids, when the kids, how, in your opinion, when, and, and you see it, because this can be anecdotal, how do, how do the kids see all this? Okay, I think it's great. Well, it's funny how you, <laughs> we repainted all the rooms in one school this year. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. We walk, so these kids walk in. I mean, they looked amazing. The rooms look brand new. We have great painters. We have a, a lot of uh, union groups here that do a phenomenal job. They're just really trained in certain areas, so it really helps. Um, this little boy, uh, uh, I was there one day, and he's like, do you want to come see my room? It's new. <laughs> well. <laughs> it's not new. That's huge. You know, That's just hearing huge. things like that, right, and parents saying, wow, this entrance is really great now. The parking's better. You, you've changed this. And, yeah. You know, sometimes I think well, we also got, we're able to get a, a new football field with turf with, with some some with, you know, tips and things like that that helped. But just that, what that does to the community, what that does to the, to the Are community body. Well, the community supports the schools. It's community dollars that make the schools. you got to make yep. the community feel proud in the schools. That's great. How's this, by the way, how the football team do? 
Well, you know, they say it's about half. Better than a long time, we have a great new football coach. But, you know, the most important thing is it was the first night when we did the ribbon cutting, I had the kids uh, cut the ribbon. Not The school board was there, but I let the kids cut the let ribbon. The kids you know, do it. it's for them. It's theirs. So. And, and I, saw, I think I saw your helmet has an arrow on it. What's the name of the team? Uh, we're the Warriors. So we the did Warriors. do the arrowhead. Um, we did have team. We did I did have, see an uh, arrowhead, yes. Yeah. Yeah. in the areas, but they're all gone now. Cokia Mounds is here. It's a national historic site. Uh, sure. So it was one of the largest, well, it was the largest uh, Native American, sorry, this is my history teacher coming up, the largest Native American <laughs> settlement in North, in North America, right, wow. uh, during the time. So there, yeah, there are mounds all around, miles out that were lookout mounds and stuff. So that's pretty neat to have that here. But right now, unfortunately, we have no members of the tribe in the, in the area. We've reached out to try to do some more Native American education because that is our background. So we work that's trying to be equitable in that respect too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It all takes time as you're doing your heart's in the right place now, the dollars are in the right place and everybody's working out. Just great. Steph, this is terrific. Thank you. It's so good to know you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. I, I, I enjoyed it too. It's wonderful to know you. And continued good luck. You're doing a great job out there in a good part thank of the you country. Very much. I know it will. Okay? You take care and thank you. Have a great day. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. And I should have said, and I hope the weather stays good. Okay? I know central Illinois. Okay? Very, very well. All right. We're going to archive the show over at ace-ed.org. And please go over, see our new issue of the magazine over there, uh, Equity and Access. As Stephanie said, that's what it's all. It always boils down to that, okay? And we got to make sure that all the things we do make that better. And if that's better, everything else gets better, okay? Thank you all for listening. I'm Larry Jacobs. Hey, have a great day.